Uh, good morning, family. Good to see you guys. Uh, we are walking through Proverbs today, continuing in that. We've kind of been jumping around throughout Proverbs, trying to bring things in thematically. Um, today, we're going to walk into the area of wisdom uh, as it pertains to the book of Proverbs. And look, money's never an easy subject to talk about in any setting. It can make people feel particularly anxious about things. Uh, when you talk about money, however, in a church, people can often get a little bit more excited or unnerved about it. Um, and that's for multiple reasons. There's multiple reasons that may happen. Uh, we all in here, I think, understand that God wants to be in our money. He wants to use our money. But I think that in some ways, we've probably made mistakes in our life when it comes to money. We probably used it in a way that we know uh, it could be better. And so when we come to church and we know that we're going to sit under teaching about money, uh, it, it can produce this friction that happens when God's word kind of bumps up against our life and that conviction kind of produces this conviction. And conviction doesn't always feel right. Uh, it doesn't feel well. I often think of it this way. It's, uh, it can be like coming home from work and you notice that your wife saw the empty container of ice cream in the trash that she just bought two days ago. And you know who ate it, right? May, am I the only one that goes through that much, galley ice cream that much? It's that awkward moment where you know that you're wrong. Um, there's some wisdom in that, though. Don't push away or fear God's word frictioning up against our life. It is how the Spirit is trying to gain your attention to say, hey, I want to move in your life in this area. And so if that happens today, let us have some serious conversations about it, some serious prayers about it. Don't reject that. And maybe there's an awkwardness to money in church because there's a belief that, oh, the money, the church is just after my money. Here this guy goes again, like just talking about money. He's going to want me to give to something. Can I just speak to that just a little bit? The people who work at this church are incredible people. The people who serve on the staff have a wide range of talents, a wide range of skills. Most of us have college degrees and some have masters. Uh, we're not here because the pay is good. Uh, this is life to us. Um, we have been given a mission to be a part of the local church, and that's here at Life Community Church in Bluffton, Indiana. And so we are serious about using your gifts as being good stewards of what you give us, to use them in purposeful ways that are not outrageous or frivolous. We want to be obedient to him, and we want to serve you well as you are obedient out of your love for him to give, and God calls us to give and to give generously. And so if you ever feel like you want to check to make sure that we're doing okay with that, you have the freedom to do that. You can check in with us. And so could we just maybe put aside some of these attitudes? I'm not saying that maybe we have these. Maybe we have a good attitude in money. But maybe put aside some of the baggage when it comes to money so we can gain some wisdom in this area as we walk through God's word. I promise you this. I'm not going to be begging you for money. I'm not going to beg you for money. That's going to come in a little bit, a little later. No. But honestly, I'm just going to be transparent with you. There is going to be a day where we're going to come in front of you and ask this congregation for some consideration financially. We have some huge infrastructure needs at this church that have to be taken care of. We have HVAC systems that are failing. We have roofs that are leaking. We've got to take care of our building. And so we as leadership are praying through this and being, trying to think the most reasonable way that we can go about fixing this. And then we're going to bring it to you. And we're going to pray over it. And we ask that you would pray over it with us. As for today, what we want to do is to break down the wisdom that we see in the area of money and use the book of Proverbs as our manual. There are a lot of thoughts and ideas when it comes to money. 
And probably collectively in here, we've probably tried hundreds, if not thousands of ideas to manage our money better or to build wealth. And I'm sure that there is good wisdom in some of those principles. But for those of us who profess Christ as our Savior, the first spot that we have to check in this area of money is God's Word. It's God's Word. We have to find the wisdom in this. But more important than just understanding the wisdom in Scripture is a heart that is being transformed by the gospel of Christ. Because all the structure and desires that we have around the area of money are meaningless if our life is not being transformed by the gospel of Christ. All of these principles and all of these ideas will just seem like a list of do's and don'ts. And we have a track record that is proving that we are not good at following a list of do's and don'ts. We understand that we need Jesus Christ so much in our life because we are unable to obtain our own righteousness through the law that God gave us. We are not good at following a list of do's and don'ts because our heart is deceptful and and wicked. And so in every area of life that we want heart change, it begins and ends with our contentment and love and satisfaction for the gospel of Christ. It is an understanding of his unmerited grace, love, and hope that is provided for us through Jesus Christ. That Jesus was crushed under the weight of God's wrath for us on that cross because of our sin and our disobedience. Because all sin and all disobedience have to be punished by a perfect and holy God because he cannot be in its presence. And so through his death and his resurrection, he bestows on us a righteousness that is not our own. A gift. We can never earn it. Not through effort. He justified us clean and holy in front of the most high God and then at the same moment adopted us as sons and daughters, heirs to the throne. And he is alive and well and working in our hearts today to transform us from one degree of the holiness to the next. And so please hear me. I will be a broken record. Your contentment and satisfaction with the gospel of Christ and your belief in what he has done for you and what he gives to you will be the catalyst and fundamental element of change in your life. A book or a guide of principles will never bring to you the potential to do what the gospel does in our life. It is fundamental. My small group is going through a series by a pastor named Eric Mason. And He talks about, um, in this series, this is a series that we plan on going through later in this church together. He talks about, in this series, one of his favorite basketball players. And one of his favorite basketball players is a guy named Larry Bird, right? We probably know Larry Bird, white boy from French Lick, Indiana, kid could ball. What he loved about Larry Bird is, (laughs) is everything. And he says that, and I agree, and you would probably agree if you know Larry Bird, that his greatness on the basketball court wasn't because of his sheer athleticism. It was based upon the fact that he was perfect in all the fundamentals of basketball. Larry Bird wasn't a great basketball player because he had good fundamentals. Larry Bird was an incredible basketball player because all he was was fundamentally sound in every area of basketball. And so for us as the Christian, we have to understand that our love for the gospel is the most essential thing in our life. It is foundational for heart change, and it is the fundamental of life. And I know that we say, well, I understand the gospel. It's brought me to faith. Now what am I supposed to do? I get the gospel, but tell me just what am I supposed to do? 
Your satisfaction in knowing the gospel and loving what Christ has done for you is the only thing that brings us change. It is the foundation of life. It is all there is. I need every moment of my life the gospel of Christ. I have to remind myself every day of the unmerited grace that he has given to me. I have to remind myself of the love that he has for me and the position he has afforded me in front of the most high God. I need that. I have to submit to that every day, every moment, every hour, every second of my life. Every moment. And so when we are content with the gospel of Christ in our life, the Spirit begins to push us towards right understanding as we sit under Him and read the Word of God. It produces wisdom in all areas of life. And the two things that the Spirit and, and, and being content with the gospel would push towards wise understanding and wisdom are these two things that just want to highlight today. Number one is that it's not ours. It's not ours. Psalm 24.1 the earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. The world and those who dwell therein. Not a proverb, I know, we're in Proverbs, but truth is still there. The most basic understanding in the area of finances, money or stuff, is an understanding that it was never ours to begin with. And this principle is displayed well in the story of King Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel. King Nebuchadnezzar was a brutal, ambitious, and powerful king that conquered Jerusalem around 586 B.C. That's not just found in the text of the Bible. That's found in your history records, just for note. Conquers Jerusalem at 586 B.C. And God brings a prophet into his life named Daniel. And Daniel grows on this guy. Nebuchadnezzar begins to like this guy. And then Nebuchadnezzar, because of Daniel's relationship with him, has a genuine encounter with the God of the universe. God saves his people in a fiery furnace, three individuals that we know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He saves them through his action and his action alone. And Nebuchadnezzar afterwards blesses God with his lips, but then goes on to live as his own authority. He blesses them with his lips, but still lives under his own authority. And the Bible records a moment in Nebuchadnezzar's life, where he's on top of the roof, looking all over his vast kingdom, and he says, he says this, is this not great Babylon that I have built by the power of my mighty hand as a righteous place for me to live because of my majesty? And not a moment after those words come out of his mouth, a voice rings out from heaven, and God himself says, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. And in a moment, God removes his sanity, detaches him away from his kingdom, and sends him to live out like oxen in the wilderness for seven years. And after seven years, God restores his mind. He restores his kingdom. And Nebuchadnezzar humbles himself and professes and extols the God of the universe of the one that owns it all. He owns it all. Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. So one of the most basic fundamental things that the, produce, the Spirit produces in us is this understanding that it's not ours to begin with. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the earth and all the inhabitants in it. He owns all the silver and the gold. It is his. We are just stewards, people who are looking after the gifts that he has given us. 
The second thing that the love of the gospel produces as wisdom towards money in our life is a belief that it isn't everything. That money isn't everything. Proverbs 23.4 says, Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. desist. Desist means to stop. Do you know when to stop? Does acquisition of wealth consume you? Author Leo Tolstoy writes a story about a rich, successful peasant farmer. This man was not content with his lot in life. He wanted more of everything. And so one day, a noble, a noble agreement comes his way. A man would give him all, for a thousand rubies, a man would give him all the land that he could walk around in one day. All the land that he could walk around in one day. The only catch was he had to be back at his starting point by sunlight. And so this man wakes up very early the next day and begins to walk briskly, as one would if they're in that situation, trying to gain as much land as he can. Midday comes. He becomes increasingly tired, but keeps pushing forward. Late afternoon comes, and he realizes now that his guilt, his greed has gotten the best of him. And he has come a far, far way, away from his starting point. And he doesn't know if he's going to be get back. And so mid-afternoon, he quickens his pace. And as the sun begins to lower in the sky, he just begins to spread. He runs, runs. And as the sun lowers in the horizon, he can see the finish line in his eyes. And he calls upon all of his strength and all of his stamina, all that he has. His heart is beating out of his chest. He can't catch his wind, but he is sprinting. And just at the moment the sun goes down below the horizon, he arrives at his starting point and quickly collapses. Blood streams from his mouth, and this man dies moments later. His servants grab him and dig him a grave. It's not more than six feet long by three feet wide. Tolstoy named the story, ironically, How Much Land Does a Man Need? And I love this story when it came across my desk. Because I think it speaks to our ambitions in acquiring property and ownership. But where did it get the man? Nowhere. Because at the end of all of it, all the land he really needed was about six feet long by three feet wide. Proverbs 30, 7 through 9. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needy for me, needful for me. Least I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or least I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. This proverb brings to us the age-old question, how much is too much? Like, when is enough enough? And look, we could spend a lot of time up here trying to diagram and dissect gross national product, medium household age, income levels, uh, inflation, but we can never pin down the right answer in this area. Trying to tackle this question with metrics and analytics is implausible because every situation is different. We have different cost of living, we have different numbers of people in our family, etc., etc., etc. The wisdom in having enough is understanding that it isn't everything. The wisdom in having enough is the understanding that it isn't everything. And we practice this in our life all the time. Just for an example, being vulnerable here. Like, I love cheese. Just going to let you know that. I love it. And there are times that I ask myself this question. How much cheese is too much cheese on this burrito at this moment? 
And you laugh at that, but that's a serious question that I've asked myself before. The answer to that question is found in this. It's found in my desire to be healthy. I will not sacrifice on my health for cheese. My love for cheese is trumped by my desire to have a healthy life with my wife and my kids. The question that we have to ask is what is there that is better than money? What is there that is better? Are there things on this earth that are better than money? Are there things in the kingdom of God that are better than money? Proverbs would say that there are. Proverbs would say this, money, money is inferior to the fear of the Lord, righteousness, wisdom, humility, and good relationships. Money is inferior to the fear of the Lord, righteousness, wisdom, humility, and good relationships. All these things should take priority over our thoughts on money and wealth. In your bulletin, I've listed all the references that speak to this conclusion in the book of Proverbs. There are many of them. Might be well for us to take some time to go through those things. And so here's a great way to gauge any reality in which you might be tempted to elevate money to a place that it does not belong. It's a question. It's not in your bulletin. Feel free to write this down. Will I sacrifice on my, and you insert any of the virtues that we just talked about above, will I sacrifice on my righteousness for money? Will I sacrifice on my good relationships for the pursuit of wealth? Will I sacrifice on wisdom for wealth, for financial gain? Don't use as a barometer in the area of money the thought of how much money you're making. Base it on what priority it has in your life. And the Bible tells us that if money exceeds our reverence for the Lord, our fear for the Lord, our righteousness, our wisdom, humility, and good relationship, then we have elevated into a spot that it should never have been in the first place. And so these are some basic, solid principles that are produced in a heart that is being transformed by, the God, by God himself it leads us into wisdom of how we should use and manage our money and to handle our money. Like it's not ours. And it isn't everything. Two key important fundamentals. For the rest of our time today, I just want to break down uh, what I think are some really natural and practical elements in the area of wisdom and money that come out of the book of Proverbs. And those three ideas are to, to be honorable, to be generous, and to save with good wisdom. We'll break them down starting with the first one. Be honorable in how you acquire it and how you spend it. Be honorable in how you acquire it and how you spend it. Proverbs 13, 11. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. When we talk about being honorable, what we're really trying to say is, is the manner or way in which I'm trying to acquire my finances Worthy of the standard that Christ has set for me? Are we people of integrity in this area? Integrity is something that we dove into very heavily last week, and it matters and is applicable in this area. Because look, we all fight the desire, whether consciously or subconsciously, to have what other people have or to do what other people have or do. Our culture has developed this idea phenomenally through advertisement and TV shows, like TV shows like HGTV. Like when I was young, I don't remember anybody in my family ever talking about renovation or upgrade. Like in 1992, I was 11 years old and we had a burnt yellow refrigerator, orange checkered linoleum floor and brown shag carpet, okay? 
Sorry if that's your household still. I'm not trying to pick on you, okay? Nobody ever said, like, this stuff's out of style. And when the refrigerator broke, there was never a thought of, like, getting rid of it or getting a new one. It was like, how do we make it work? Not me. I was 11. My dad, my dad had those thoughts. I tell you this because I believe that the pressure to have and to do what other people have or do is greater today than it maybe has ever been. And that pressure, when it's constant, can push us into things that we didn't want to get into. They can cause us to sacrifice on our priorities to get things, and it can lead us into making decisions that are unethical, that are not godly, and don't hold up our integrity. We might be tempted to find ways to cut corners or make a quick buck. We might find ways to make a job go quicker so we can get paid. We may fudge on our timesheets or our time cards. We may even feel the urge to treat people as objects and not human beings that have feelings and hopes and dreams and thoughts, just like you and I. And so the wisdom in this is, is from Proverbs 22.1. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver and gold. Better than silver and gold. Ask ourselves the question, am I honoring God in the way that I'm acquiring this? Am I honoring the God in the way that I'm spending this? And I'm not saying that we're we're not enjoying the fruits of our labor. I'm just saying, are we considering being honorable in the way that we go about using our money? Because it's not ours. We're stewards of it. We're honorable with it. And it flows right into the next principle of money that we find in Proverbs. Be generous with it. Be generous with it. Proverbs 11:24. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer, Another withhold what, withholds what he should give and only suffers once. So just to bring some death here as we speak about generosity, this is entirely different than tithing to God. Entirely different than tithing to God. Generosity is about us showing love and compassion through our finances and resources. Generosity is an intricate part of the believer's life. We all should be generous in every way that we can, but the corruption of the human heart and our sin and disobedience bump up against us, and it produces a desire that we call greed in our lifestyle. And greed is nothing more than us believing that we can manage it better than God can. My way is better than His way. Greed has seemingly corrupted our human ethic in some ways. I believe our ethic now is that we value having as much as we can, as quick as we can, all the materials that we can get, and just enough righteousness that would enable us to obtain the kingdom of God in the afterlife. You see, because greed is rooted in a belief that this life is all that there is. But it's not. It's not. And so the wisdom here is to let it go. We've said, talked about open-handed living, to let it go. To keep our priorities in check, right? Reverence of the Lord first. Righteousness, wisdom, humility, good relationships. We put those things, we put money below those things. And then we ask, okay, Lord, how can I be generous with these things after I meet my needs here? How can I bless people? It's not an action, it's an attitude. Like, Lord, how can I be generous with all that you have given me? And here's what scripture promises us. You'll grow richer because of your generosity and for those of us who withhold, it only suffer, they will only suffer want. 
More money, more problems, right? And when we speak about riches, I am not talking to you about planting some seed and that you're going to get multiples back. We're talking about the riches of life. It could come financially, but it could come in the depth of life, of blessings, of family, satisfaction, and integrity. And here's the really cool thing about this godly principle of generosity. Social science reminds us that the wisdom that is contained in the Bible is profound because researchers today are highlighting the benefits of wisdom or of generosity in many facets of life. It is proven to reduce stress, improve physical health, enhance our sense of purpose, to fight mental depression, and even to increase one's lifespan. All of these things are linked from generosity. By no means, however, am I promising you any of those things by being generous. But I am constantly amazed as I read expert after expert social science that continues to support and show the validity of Scripture as God's good and right design for His people to flourish, whether they know it or not. And so because we have the belief that it's not ours, we can be generous and as much as we can because we're just stewards. But there is wisdom also in understanding that we need to store up a little bit for a rainy day. And so we can be as ingenuous as, as much as we can, but we have to be cognitive of the future to store up a little. This is our last principle from the book of Proverbs. It says to save with good wisdom for the future. Save with good wisdom for the future. Proverbs 6, 6 through 8. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. The understanding here is that the ant is preparing for winter, that she is using the season that she is in now to supply what she will need in the barrenness that is later in life. And she's not doing it because somebody else is forcing her. She's doing it out of good wisdom, out of good wisdom. So we can see that there is a value in storing things away for security towards hardships in the future. It means that when God blesses us with extra, we store some of those things away. Now the push here comes when we store up so much that we're not generous, or we store up so much because we're greedy. What is good wisdom for the future? Everybody's probably heard of Dave Ramsey, incredible financial genius. He has a pretty simple principle that I think fits into this proverb. He, he always talks about having this emergency fund, having a, a three-month supply of money to be able to afford you when something would go happen, an ability to re-strategize or adjust. Like, that feels like good wisdom. That feels like what this ant is doing here, like storing away a little to be able to get through some hardships. But beyond that, when storing up things, I really can't speak to that. Beyond that, we have to, as believers, revert back to our love and contentment for the gospel of Christ and living in his spirit. That is where we will find the best determination on what God might want us to do with those resources that are coming in. Maybe there are some of you in here that God is pulling at your heart to give abundantly. He's saying, look, I got you. I'm going to take care of you. But maybe there are people who God is giving wisdom to say, hey, brother, store some away. There's some hard days coming ahead. I need you to say that. And we see this principle lived out in the, guy, in the life of a guy named Joseph. The book of Genesis tells the story of Joseph, who, after some difficulties, and that's an understatement, if you know the story of Joseph, he ends up as the second command of the entire region of Egypt. God's got his favor on him. And the Pharaoh has a dream, 
And God gives Joseph the ability to interpret his dream. And Joseph interprets the Pharaoh's dream as one of that God is going to provide seven years of good and plenty harvest, followed by seven years of drought and famine. And because of Joseph's wisdom, the Egyptians save a fifth of the harvest every year in the years of good and plenty to save and survive in the seven years of drought and famine. So I don't plan on sitting up here today and say, well, you're saving too much or you're saving too little. People, that wouldn't be a good place for me to be in. God has to be the one that we revert back to and reveal that to us. I will say this. You probably need to think about saving in the same way that we think about spending. Am I storing this in honorable ways? Like, am I storing this to use an honorable purpose down the line? That would be good wisdom there. And so to summarize kind of all of this, I will say this again, I will be a broken record at this church of the power of the gospel to change our life, and it is the fundamental element of change in our life, our contentment and satisfaction in him. Obedience comes from the fruit of a heart that is being transformed by the gospel. It comes from that. Your ability to do what or right does not make you better. It doesn't even make you more holy. You can't earn God's favor. And so we rest in the gospel. We delight. There's joy in the gospel. And God produces within us as we marinate in his spirit and read his word, obedience and understanding in all the things of this earth. And he brings to us great wisdom in the area of money to understand it's not ours. Like it's his. He gave it to us. And it isn't everything. It should never be a priority above the fear of the Lord, righteousness, wisdom, humility, and good relationships. Never be of those things. And we shouldn't sacrifice on those things to achieve financial gain. We have to have our priorities set here. And then there's just a few practical biblical ideas that Proverbs brings us to be honorable in the way that we acquire it or gain it or spend it and to be generous with it as much as we can and to save with good wisdom for the future. God's word is profound in wisdom, isn't it? It's profound in wisdom, and especially in the area of money. These aren't just good principles, but these wisdom, this wisdom contains the good and right design that God has for his people to flourish in as we live lives that are obedient to his word, to his spirit, and our hearts are being transformed by the gospel. Praise God for, for wisdom. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you today and um, just seeking your help in a very difficult corner of our lives. Money has a lot of negatives that can be attached to it. Will you just help us to ask some serious questions about uh, the way that we use money? Does it line up with, with how your wisdom would, 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 would want us to? And God, I, I would even ask for better questions about, Lord, where does my heart line up? Uh, for your design. Uh, and so, Lord, thanks for blessing us with the resources that we have in this country. Thanks for that, all that you give us. Lord, let us never be greedy in those things. Let us never live this life as a thought that this is all that there is. There's so much more. We love you, Lord, and we praise you for all that you do for us. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.